On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Rugby World Cup on the left wing. South Africa made it back-to-back World Cup wins with a dramatic win over New Zealand on Saturday night. And on today's episode of the Left Wing Podcast, we will reflect not only on last weekend's final, but also the tournament as a whole after eight weeks of rugby. Will Slattery here with you. I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and also to welcome Keen Tracy back to the show. And Keen, I might go to you first. South Africa, the first four-time champions in the history of the tournament. They came out on top on that Clash of the Titans at the Stade de France. Very high drama. You know, lots of talking points that we'll get into over the next little while. Did the right team win for you on Saturday night? First of all, it's great to see you, lads. Um, yeah, it's been so long. Did a lot of left wings in France, but didn't manage to catch up with you once. So it's good to be back. Uh, good to be back. Feels like a long time ago, and I have to say that I was in France. But um, yeah, I think the right team won, Will. I think it's hard to argue otherwise when you look at the the path that they came through in terms of the how difficult the pool was, uh, the knockout stages. I always got the sense that whoever beat France in Paris was going to pretty much go all the way. Uh, that was my sort of sense from the outset, um, and that's what it proved to be. I mean, they obviously, South Africa, weren't at their best in the semi-final against England, um, but they still found a way to get the job done, and I suppose that's probably been the hallmark of this team there. I suppose their refusal to to be beaten, to their ability to constantly go to the well, and um, I'm not even sure if they were at their best in the final again because they still seem to be like some players seems to be still a bit leggy from everything they had put in through through the previous few weeks, and I think New Zealand will come away from it thinking that it was one that got away, and I was kind of thinking about this a lot actually over kind of the last couple of days. It's amazing when you look at pretty much all of the knockout games, apart from the semi-final between Argentina and New Zealand. I think nearly every other team in the quarterfinals and semifinals would have felt like that it was there for the taking. So I think that kind of re-emphasizes how narrow and tight the margins really are. I mean, there's been a lot of fallout from an Irish point of view, but you think back that Ireland were the only team to beat South Africa. It just shows how I think little is between the teams for South Africa to go through the quarterfinal, semi-final and final to win by one point is just absolutely incredible to back up what they did in 2019. I know the way they did it hasn't been to everyone's style, but I have to say I'm full of admiration for 
how they did it their own way. It might not be the rugby that you'd prefer to be watching in terms of more open, more running rugby, but the fact that they just stuck to their guns, the fact that they went for the 7-1 split in the final when everyone thought they were mad, a huge gamble. Then when Bongi gets injured earlier on, you're thinking it's going to backfire spectacularly, but somehow they they got away with it. Um, I don't think we've reached a point like that it's an existential crisis in rugby because I think in 2019, a lot of people were worried that this was the way the game was going to go after the box won, won in Japan, and that didn't really happen. I don't think it's going to happen now either I don't think we're going to see loads of coaches going with seven months blitz on the bench or anything like that but um, I admire the way they got the job done in the end Luke what about you obviously you know Keen touched on a, lot of, a few talking points there from a South African perspective but just you know over the course of the 80 minutes like do you think that South Africa were the better team on Saturday uh, no I didn't think so um, you know and I know we're on the, the subject of South Africa but I don't know do you know what I was really surprised I was surprised and I wasn't surprised like when you hear about, say, Talia's out of the semi-final um, because of disciplinary issues, just it is amazing how all those things just feed in and New Zealand end up having like the disciplinary, disciplinary problems against Ireland after a brilliant start that nearly cost them the game, probably should have cost them the game. Um, and the same thing in the final, just kind of silly, silly disciplinary, you know, kind of issues. Um so I think there's something for them to look at there. There's lots for them to gain in that respect. I think New Zealand will, will, will get a little better over this next four-year period, and I think they'll be a bit of a force at the next one maybe. I know there are a few guys retiring, but they look like they've all, they'll always have great players. But that's that, that's how, you know, when I, when I think about New Zealand, that was one that definitely got away from them, and I thought they actually played their best rugby in the knockouts. Um, And, and I think they're actually not, they weren't the best there. I think they're probably the weakest of the top four teams. I still think that. Um. Uh, when it comes to South Africa, you know, yeah, look, I think they, look, they, they, the one thing you can't argue with is that they had the toughest route to the final, and I thought they did brilliantly well uh, to to win the competition. Um, you know, I think they they rode their luck. I I, I do think, uh, and they did get the rub of the green when when it uh, when it really really mattered. Um, I think the a lot has been made about how good Rassi is and Nina Bar, and I just think. I just disagree with it. <laughs> I think um, I think they've got the best player group, um, and I thought they won despite some of the really really odd selections. Um, what I will say is that they are definitely trying to change the way different things happen, and I and I admire that. They're certainly they're like they're not they're not silly coaches, not stupid coaches, but I don't think they're as, they're geniuses. Put it that way. I think um, the seven one split was a problem for them in the final. Should have been a big problem for them. Um, I think. Um, the selections of the squad pre-tournament nearly came back to to haunt them, um, and I I just think that they have what what they are brilliant at definitely is their man management, and I think that was probably what got them over the line versus any different thinking about bench compositions etc. I think they they know how to coach the rugby team. They're they're brilliant at set piece. Um, they have a really good strong uh, defense. And they have a simple game plan, which is what I said before the tournament, which is what, what makes them a very effective cup rugby team. Um, you know, it's easier to deliver those things, set piece, defense and kicking, than it is to deliver a really flashy attacking game plan, um, just particularly under pressure. It's just, it's just easier to do. Um, and, and I think the, the last point I just want to reiterate, they have the best squad. They have the best squad of, of anyone, the, the best group of players. They're all, lots of them at the peak of their powers. 
Um, and I think that's probably what got them over the line in the end. Those people know, those guys know how to win. Um, so I think a lot of the focus has been in the wrong areas, to be honest with you. I think it should be on the player group who I think were brilliant. And I think the coaches are excellent at, what, you know, at, at the actual game. But any of the other thinking around it, I'm unconvinced that, it was that, that those things were the reasons they won the competition. Well, I definitely thought the hooker decision was, you know, like their line out was, was atrocious once Dion Faree came in. Like he actually played re- well around the pitch. Like he is great at the breakdown and can make a big impact, but he's not a hooker. That was a disastrous selection decision that could well have but cost him the game. In the semi-final. Like Limo, like everyone was like, oh, that was genius. It was like, he should have been starting the match. Like, or sorry, Pollard should have been starting the match. Like I just... Oh, you, d- really, you don't uh, you don't win you don't win back to back World Cups unless you're an unbelievable coach. I know they rode their luck, but no, like, they're good it, coaches. Ian, they, they know rugby. But yeah, but they played. They are, played. No, the selections. Shite, shite. Sorry, excuse my language. They no. played to their strengths though, and they they got away with it. So I mean, I don't know if we can, like, do you know, like they they, got they, away they with it. yeah, they but got like away they won with two World Cups in the back of it. So you know, they're the ones with the, having the last laugh. Yeah, well, I just think. Oh, sorry, I actually, no, they've got a brilliant player group, and they're brilliant at coaching rugby. But they are not. They're, they're squad selections, like they <laughs> absolute madness. They won despite the squad selections. Like I, 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 they were tinkering around way too much with it. Um, and I'm and I'm not sure about the the substitutions. I think they got away with it because they've got an unbelievable player group, and I do think that they've got. They are really good at coaching the game. Like their scrum coach is clearly excellent. Their line out is is excellent and well thought out. Their defensive line out's brilliant, and they've got a way of defending that is really really hard to cope with. And they've got the best athletes out of out of any any team. I, I personal opinion that they're, they're you, sorry. I, I'm getting animated about it because I I do think they nearly cost them the World Cup because of their selections. Uh, well, I agree. I, I think they were playing catch up. By their squad selection before the tournament, I just think you know picking two, two four, four, four nines, two hookers, and then some of their selection during the tournament. I actually would tend to agree with Luke. It's a pity Road isn't here today. I think he's traveling back from France because we've had we had a good debates about this in the lead up uh, in terms of his opinion on the, the South African coaching decisions and what what myself and Jonathan Bradley was on the show. Because Keen, like you, you could look at their knockout run. You know they look, they won three games by a point. I would argue they were possibly second best in all three matches over the balance of an 80 minute performance. Obviously they ended up winning the world cup. So it doesn't matter what I'm saying really here, but at the same time, if, I, if you watch those three matches, I would argue they were second best in all three. The France game though, was a, like a toss of a coin. I agree with you. I mean, they, they were maybe second best for large parts of it, but like once again, like I said, their ability to, to go to the well. And that was like, you know, one thing I was wondering going into the final, because like, I was surprised, I have to say in, in terms of the semi-final, how much England put it up to them. But I think there was a few factors in that. It was a horrible wet night. I think that was a bit of a leveler. And also you could see, I was at the quarterfinal, the South Africa, France one, you could see how much it took out of them getting in the, in that England game, particularly at the latter stages. I mean, like a guy like Etzebet came off early, didn't he again, like looked out in his feet and you were kind of wondering, could they go to the well again? And that was my big, like kind of concern from a South African point of view going into it. And then you look at New Zealand who coasted through a non-event of a semi-final a lot of people were saying that you know that would stand to them when it got to the final and to be honest I I know they obviously will get into it the the red card was a huge game changer but 
I was a bit disappointed by by New Zealand in terms of um, the, the, the lack of shots maybe that they fired. I know they were pretty unlucky a couple of times in the first half just before Sam Kane got sent off. Uh, Jordy Barrett had a lovely chip over the top for Savea, didn't quite get it down there. They had the disallowed try, which was a, a fair call. I know they had to go back a bit, but it was... Unbelievable bit of play by Moonga, to be fair. Just as Beautiful. Player. But I didn't think he had his best game either, Will. I, I thought that was a sensational bit of, bit of play for that disallowed try but I didn't think he was at his best either um, and you need like all those guys to be basically playing their best so it's interesting again if you look at it not to bring it all the time back to Ireland but like going into the quarterfinal we were having similar conversations about you know would Ireland be leggy going into it because they hadn't rotated their team and New Zealand coasted through their pool after losing the opener to France but then you look at the final and it was the team who were battle-hardened and who went to the well who managed to get the job done because I think a lot of people were tipping New Zealand from the fact that they basically were going to have more in their legs. And I know, like I said, the, the red card was clearly massively damaging um, from an All Blacks point of view. But um, yeah, like I'm just seriously impressed. I mean, to go back-to-back and win the World Cup, to win their fourth title, to come through the pool that they did. And I agree with you, Will, they might not have played their best throughout the knockout stages, even though I think that France game was an epic performance, just one of the great uh, games of rugby, I think, that we've seen. Um, and they just still managed to get it done. I think that's the sign of a really great team, to be honest. Yeah, like I'm not trying to come on after they've won a second World Cup in a row and kind of paint a picture that they like were unworthy winners. But I just, you know, if you watch the three matches over the course of it, because winning tight games, Luke, is 100% is a skill. Like to come out of three knockout games like that one point winners managing the end game three weeks in a row against really really top quality teams that is a phenomenal achievement and that is why it's one of the great world cup wins despite that they obviously lost a pool game to ireland yeah. but to, to manage know, the sorry, knockout guys. yeah no i, I look I, I suppose i'm the reason i'm getting a bit animated is because i think the focus is probably on the wrong areas I, like i still think I feel like I'm going to repeat myself. I'm going to really try not to, but I just think they are brilliant, right? They're a brilliant team. The coaches are definitely brilliant coaches, but some of the extra thinking that is that was supposed to be cutting edge that they're getting praised for, I think actually nearly cost them it. That, that's that's my, my overriding point in this. I've played on teams, particularly at club level, where you won those tight ones, even ones you shouldn't have won. And that is definitely a skill. That's a learned skill. That's like a belief that when you're in the trenches, you just, like I played in these where you're like, if you actually looked at the match, you're kind of like, I know everyone on the team thought we were going to win. We could be 20 points down, but you just you just never felt like it was always a shock when you lost, even if you got off to an absolute stinker. Um, Ireland are kind of in that place a little bit, or were obviously before the, the New Zealand game. Um you know, just in a really good place, thinking that regardless of what situation, we're going to come out on top. And this South Africa team definitely have that in them. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, look, I think France at home was always going to be, you know, if, we, if we look back through it, um, you know, France at home was always going to be, you know, you're going to ride your luck there. Like they were always going to come on strong, home team at a World Cup. And they are a brilliant team too, despite some of the, the guys, the personnel they lost, which I think were probably key for them. Um, and we mustn't forget, South Africa lost marks and they had no arm either. You know what I mean? Two brilliant players too. So they were missing a few bodies as well. But um, Lou Diager you know, as well, Luke. Sorry? Lou Diager was missing as Lou well. Lou sorry, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, look, I don't think they were lacking in that department anyway, but he definitely would have been probably starting somewhere or like on a bench somewhere at least for them. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I do think, you know, they. Oh, the, the other point to, to probably make is they did ride their luck. Like losing to Ireland definitely wasn't part of the plan. 
you know, and having to face France. So um, they did, they, they gathered themselves well after that, um, having had the cushion of the new, of, of the, the Scotland win at the start of the tournament. Um, so they grew into the tournament. I think they got away with some dodgy selections, but they're a brilliant player group and they are a brilliant coaching group. There's no doubt about it. And they were definitely deserved winners on the night. Um, I would say like, there was probably like, you know, even the Khaleesi collision. I mean, I, I was, I wasn't, that would have been amazing to have two captains on, on in the final of red card, but that's that's a bloody close one as well um, to, to being a red card. So there was lots of instances that could have changed that game around. And I didn't think they played great rugby themselves. I thought New Zealand got off to a stinking start, looked very, very shaky, kind of almost like their first four or five minutes against Ireland until, you know, they Ireland obviously, you know, played worse actually. But um, they look shaky. They don't look like they had a lot of belief. Uh, they almost needed the other team to have a bit of a stinker for them to kind of go, oh, actually, we're not that bad a team. And that's, I think, what happened. They, I thought New Zealand actually grew into that game. They were forced nearly to play um, the game we know they can play. And they almost kind of, they, they almost did it, which was an amazing achievement against what is an unbelievable South African team. So it was a great final. It was. Uh, I, I don't want to take anything away from from South Africa. I just want to make sure the focus is on the right things about South Africa. I think is is probably my 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 overarching feeling after ever after having watched it and, and and definitely think that you know it's it's gone to a place. Um, it went to the right place. The World Cup in the end. I think before the tournament, if, if everyone had said, "Okay, neutral ground, no home venue, who's your team? Do you think is is going to win this competition?" I think it's a it's probably a toss up between Ireland and South Africa. I honestly do believe that. I know France are, are, are there, but I still think Ireland might have had an edge in them in, in, in a neutral venue. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was great to see them. It's great for the country. They need a big lift there. It was a good spectacle too. I know the, the, the red card could have ruined it, but it didn't. It was still very tight in the end. And when you think about the run through, bar New Zealand and Argentina, all the quarterfinals were unbelievable matches. The only bad match we really got was the Argentina-New Zealand game. And, uh, you know, it was, it was brilliant for the tournament and a great spectacle. So it was, um, it, was, it was great viewing, I will say, and I was really pleased for them. Oh, yeah, it's great to get a final that delivers, you know, buckets of drama like that one did, even though the scoreboard was kind of, you know, relatively low scoring by, by that standard, but it was it was gripping uh, throughout. Keen, what did you make of the red card decision then? Obviously, were you in agreement? Uh, it sounds like you were, that it was a red card. And how do you think, Wayne Brown slash the bunker system did with the other key cause in the game. I have to say I agreed with every single one of the cards, Will. Um, go through the first one, Shannon Frizzell. When it happened initially, I was kind of thinking, oh, this does not look good. But on the replay, you could see that, like, in my, certainly in my opinion, it didn't look like there was any intent to come down on Bongi's leg wh- where it was. I, th- I just think he was genuinely unlucky. And I don't like defending Shannon Frizzell. I would, I would say that. I thought a yellow card was fair. And I thought, that was actually a great example of the the bunker working well because they clearly took their time in the in the bunker and for me came to the right decision. Um, the red card I thought was like nailed on. I mean, I don't think Sam Kane went in there to to do damage and take his head off, but I mean, he was just too upright. Um, you just can't do it. He needed to drop on Jesse Creel, and in a way, I thought it was good for the game almost not good for the game but good for the sport sorry I should say that a decision like that in a final when it was the New Zealand captain wasn't let go because I think in the past there might have been an inclination maybe to go okay we'll just give him a yellow card there when for me it was a stone wall red I thought it sent out a really strong message that these are the tackles we don't want in the game I've been listening to a few different Kiwi stuff over the last couple of days and like 
unsurprisingly, they're talking like again, and we've discussed this on the podcast, particularly after last year's tour, that the 20 minute red card should come into play. Like, I just think absolute nonsense. Um, I did feel sorry for Sam Kane, I have to say, because I didn't think it was a malicious one. But they are the exact tackles that World Rugby is trying to get rid of out of the game. And I think fair play to the bunker person, whoever it was, between them and Wayne Barnes, they came to the right decision. And I thought Wayne Barnes, for all the criticism that he gets, I actually thought he had a really good game. I like There was four cards in them, like I said. I actually agreed with them all. Um, I know the Kiwis weren't interesting. The Kiwis weren't happy with the the last scrum, which was quite interesting because they felt like they had the, the shove on the box there. Obviously, they had to go for broke in terms of trying to force the penalty. And it was a bit like, I suppose, Barnes referee in Ireland against New Zealand in that Barnes penalised Porter in that early scrum and it seemed to set the tone whereas that scrum at the end now obviously the start of the game and the end of the game are very different in terms of giving penalties but he went to a reset you know what I mean and Ireland were definitely I thought, I thought he kind of put the whistle away for the last 10-15 yeah, minutes yeah I thought so too for a I referee who's usually he, so officious and involved out. I thought he really just yeah. kind of didn't look like he wanted to be a, give a key call like to decide the uh, game. I thought I thought South Africa were very poor at the rook. There was a lot of hands on the ground. There was a lot of, a lot of kind of obvious ones. I was, I was like, man, I think he's missed a good few there at the end. I, I'd, I'd say Joe Schmidt will be going through that. He'll be getting a bit of a review after that one. I think. What, what did you make of the Khaleesi one? I feel like it's a little bit contradictory to say the Kane one was good for the game, but the yellow card was good for the game as well with its head on head. I, I I thought Clisium was yellow. I do agree with you. It was right on the edge. But if if you're asking me, I think it was more yellow than red. I have to say, um, I did agree with that. Why did you think it was more yellow? There was there was mitigation in in it. I I felt. Um, yeah. I, I I don't know. I just felt like that. There was there was a bit of a, a drop in height there, and yeah, I thought Sam Kane's Sam Kane went into the tackle much more upright. Um, clearly, you both disagree. Do you, you think he should have been red? I thought he was yeah, leading with his head. Yeah. I just thought that. Yeah, I just Definitely thought he was leading right. with his head. I just didn't think there was. I think it was he a had good time, bit away from he had time tackle. to get in there as well. It wasn't like it was a last minute. It was like he had time to pick it. He should have been lower. I thought it was a very. I thought I actually thought it was a really bad decision. Really, I yeah, I didn't have to say I didn't think it was um, a stink. I, I didn't I want to see it. I didn't want to see a red card for the two captains. Yeah, no, I felt no, like no, that no. would have been bad for the game too. Mm. Yeah, I, I, Do you know I, what I mean. Yeah, I I thought it was yellow, and I have to say I would normally be one who is. Like yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm not saying the card man thing, right? No, that, that's yeah. not what I mean. I just, I just felt like that was definitely. I, I thought the, the scene was set for another red card there, and I just thought there was enough boxes ticked there. He had enough time to get himself in a way better position than he was in, um, to have head on head there is it's just not what we want to see, you know. It's just not what we want to see. So I thought he. Was I really a very thought lucky they were going to give it red and that kind of you know that leveling up kind of human yeah, nature. Yeah, that's what I mean. The scene of, was set for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, I really I thought it was going to be like another red card. There was enough boxes ticked that I was like, I know you could see the little bit of bend at the hip, but it wasn't enough for me. He had he had more he actually had more time to get ready for that collision than Kane did for his personal opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, maybe like I, I genuinely think it's interesting that we that we see it differently because, like I said, I would normally be for like those kind of calls. I would normally be on the the kind of red card side when it comes to player safety and that but I don't know I mean I watched it back again yesterday and it didn't at the time I thought it was yellow and watching it back yesterday I didn't really change my mind either I thought it was a it was a fair decision the Colby decision as well I mean hard to argue with that um, in terms of the yellow cards later on and I don't know like even though there was four cards there had never been as many cards in a final obviously Sam Kane was the first player to be sent off 
in a World Cup final. And I know we're talking about it now, but I certainly didn't come away from it thinking that this was the type of game where you know, the focus is going to be overly on the the card decisions or the referee. I think, Luke, you're dead right. I agree with you. I think the All Blacks actually did unbelievably well to make it as much of a contest as what they did by playing for with 14 men for, for so long. And look, the fact that what the All or South Africa went, uh, was it 46 minutes without scoring? Like, didn't score a single point yeah. in the second and half was crazy. Like, unbelievably. Like, I-, I thought there was a few shaky, like, Bowden Barrett had a few very shaky moments at fullback. Like, he is, like, that. that's in my mind really, this is a kind of a weird statement maybe, but I feel like him going to Japan really upset everything over the course of the four years um um over, over the, even sorry over a longer period for new zealand i really think it's upset a lot of what should have been great like he should go, he should go he should have gone down as one of the greats as a 10 and everything should have been set from there Mawunga's on your bench and you have a proper out and out 15 there for for new zealand solid under the high ball like a bench someone else would have emerged i think um but they kind of had to find a, a place for a guy who's who's a two-time world player of the year you know that kind of way um I, I felt that really upset that's really upset new zealand rugby the last couple of years you know so and i thought he looked very shaky in the final he had some great good moments too but um there was a period in the second half where he just couldn't catch a high ball um and i was amazed south africa just couldn't really capitalize on it you know so i, I thought it was a bit of a combination of both i thought south africa maybe definitely looked like they'd, they'd come through a bit of a like kind of few tougher battles looked a little bit more leggy um a little bit more unsure of themselves they tightened up a little bit when they knew they should have won the game um and probably didn't go out to to really land a killer blow on new zealand and i thought that gave new zealand life which is it's the i, I think the only way the only way to really be to beat new zealand well is to think you're going to is to go for the juggler when they're there and they were there like you can't just eke out you know you can't go okay you know we'll keep this at a one score game and we you know they won't have enough to, to get us they always find a way i think and i thought they grew into the game because again south africa didn't go for that killer blow they were happy to kind of just um you know the the the, the man advantage will tell over the kind of 80 minutes we'll break them down at scrum time with penalties and it didn't really transpire that way did it it was it, it made a really great contest now even at the the very end uh like there's 79 minutes on the clock and i think it's bowden kicks the ball downfield and jesse creel gets it in the backfield like there's literally a, less than a minute left on the clock and you're thinking just carry this up hard and just like a couple of phases and kick it out. Yet he boots the ball back down the other end of the field. Even in like with less than a minute to go, they still take, stick to that approach that you're talking about, Luke, that they prefer not to have the ball when I would say... When it's within kicking rate, let's say, do you reckon, Cian? I yeah. think it's that. Absolutely, yeah. Like, I mean, most teams in the world just, you know, carry that up a couple of phases. But I'm just going to make a point about the, the Japanese point you make is interesting, Luke, because... There was loads of players on both teams who've gone to Japan during the last World Cup cycle. And for some, maybe it has interrupted their momentum a little bit. But you look at someone like a guy like Quagga Smith, who we never get to see because he's playing in Japan, basically. And obviously, you know, I know the league is developing and all that. But clearly, like players are going there for a big payday as opposed to playing top level elite rugby. But that guy has come back from Japanese rugby and has been like reinvented. I thought he was outstanding throughout um 
South Africa's push. Like he was unbelievable off the bench again. Unbelievable. Um, some, of, some of their best players are in Japan. Steph Dutoy is in Japan. That's what I mean, yeah. Japan. Colby's in Japan. Creel's in Japan. Dialende's in Japan. It's basically their whole entire team are basically so, playing. So, so Will, could Ireland send a couple of like maybe players to Japan? What about Tyke Furlong going over for a couple of years and, you know, re- resetting the body and stuff? Like, I don't think it's, it's great for that, Keane. Apparently, they, apparently the sessions are, and I'm, I'm sure it's got more sophisticated, but apparently they absolutely run you into the ground over there. You know, it's kind of, it's like the start of professional rugby here where they were like, okay, it's our job. We actually have to do this nine to five. Apparently there's a bit of that going on where you're like, like you're, you're, some guys actually came back in terrible shape from it, you know, because it's just been done to death or whatever. So uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I I think that's a radical, it's, it's an, it's funny. I I haven't really heard it talked about maybe because he's been back in New Zealand for a while, but like he goes away and he's the two time world player of the year and you're kind of going like, okay, you're taking a sabbatical, but he never came back into like a settled franchise in New Zealand. I never seemed to be able to get that 10 berth, like really locked down and really suffered from having a bad kicking, a bad day on the tee in, um, in Japan, I think, wasn't it? He, he would, they were like, I think they made their decision then that they don't, they couldn't have him as their, um, as their 10. Yeah. And like, I suppose like, I mean, if you're to put yourself into his shoes, obviously the, the money isn't great in New Zealand. It's hard to, kind of deny a fella going off to Japan for a couple of years. But I totally agree with you, Luke. I mean, this guy was looking like being kind of the next Dan Carter. And I, I did think he played, like, he didn't have a bad World Cup by any means. But certainly, you know, he would have been a guy from a few years ago, you would have thinking, like, this World Cup would have been kind of made for him to take it by the scruff and probably didn't, whether that's because 15 is in his best position. Like, lots of the Kiwis, like, would tell you that 15 is in his best position at except, all, so. except against Ireland, he was he was he was outstanding at yeah. fifteen in that game, and a few of the lads played their absolute best rugby in that quarter final. To be fair, and maybe struggled to hit the heights in some of the other matches. I thought, and the fact that they like the way that he went to 15 meant Jordy went to 12 and I thought Jordy was exceptional like I mean arguably the best 12 in the tournament I know Bundy Aki was brilliant Bundy well. might be best is he? Bundy yeah. was great but I thought Jordy was outstanding I mean throughout the I know he missed- boys, they didn't get much of a mention the two centres for South Africa have been unbelievable like their mm-hmm. ball carrying and their defence like unbelievable they're two kind of unsung kind of guys you know I think throughout the competition like they were they, they make yeah. you so solid defensively too you know Thielander was so good against Ireland as well. I know it's a good while ago now, but he was God is carrying that day in particular. I thought was was immense. Yeah, he's a he's a serious player. I think um, I totally agree with both both you. I think Jesse Creel was probably maybe even a little bit more unsung. And you mentioned Lucania Am Luke there, and I know he hasn't been great um, in club rugby over the last couple of years. But you see when these Springboks come in, like they they become like better players. I mean, Peter Steftatoy was like 2019. Peter Steftatoy in in that final, just Freaky final. Well, like, yeah, unbelievable. unbelievable. They were, he must have had, I think, did I say 28 tackles? 28, but yeah. Must, but he must have had, like, I'm going to say seven or eight of those must have been impact hits. Like, at least. Hits. At least. It, like, it wasn't even the volume. It was the sheer quality. I mean, he hit, Jordy Barrett, I think he hit him three times. He absolutely smashed Richie Mwanga. Like, can you imagine, like, six foot eight, whatever he is, hundred and. 15 kilos there, there was you. one it was on one of the Barrett brothers and I was like oh god like he got up he took it unbelievably well you could see he kind of you know the Barrett boys are hard as nails as well uh, like super fit you know they're kind of rangy guys but like one of those hits I was like okay you can see that hurt him he just doesn't <laughs> want to show he just doesn't want to show the toy that he's absolutely got him an absolute zinger there you know what I mean but um god he was just delivering and, he, and you know what it was clever as well I watched him he was kind of like 
they have a lot of very smart rugby players on their team, I think, don't they? If you look at South Africa, yes, they've got the brawn and everyone talks about that, but even their line-out, their line-out defence, like everyone seemed to have to rethink how they were going about their line-out. Like New Zealand took forever at every single line-out to get the ball in. It was obviously a plan to try and like disrupt South Africa's rhythm, defensive line-out rhythm or something, because they took forever to get the ball in. I don't know if that, that struck you guys during the match, but they were obviously trying to figure out a way of, you know, stopping South Africa there. Like, they obviously have... they have, It's what I say about the coaches. I do think, for all the other crazy stuff they did, the way they prepare the team to play the match is, like, brilliant, obviously. You know, they seem to have really been on cutting edge in terms of their... Their their scrum clearly, but obviously their their line out too was a menace for every single team they faced. The the breakdown as well, like was military precision. I was watching it back again. If you watch them, they only put one player into the breakdown. It's going to be very interesting for Leinster fans to watch. I think because this is how Neen Arbor designs his defensive system. So if it's double tackle, you'll have one player flooding into the breakdown, and the idea is to keep as many defenders on your feet as possible. And that's why they're so bloody tough to to break down as a defensive unit. I'm fascinated to see um, the line speed as well, Keen. Like they kind of no matter what, even if they kind of down numbers they're coming forward like you yeah. know what i mean jameson gibson park is going to be coming to with a smaller team like that that's the other thing do you know like yeah any thoughts on that because leinster are like south africa the biggest team in the world probably maybe bar some of the islanders do you think that defensive system will work with when you're not the biggest team when you're coming up against like la rochelle's and these teams that are way bigger than you uh, for leinster I th- I think I definitely think that that's the way they're going to try and play because that's what Munster were doing under Neen Arbor as well. This is clearly his DNA. I'm sure there'll be tweaks to adapt for exactly the reasons that you're saying. But like I think the box would say a lot of their sort of defense is around a mindset as well. And I think that like this could possibly be the the missing piece of the jigsaw that Leinster were missing a guy to come in and basically totally fresh voice to kind of put tweaks here and there a double world cup winner like it's going to be an unbelievably like i think good move positive move for leinster i don't think we're going to be seeing seven one splits against la rochelle or anything like that but like leinster's defense over the last couple of years i think we admit like could definitely do with um a bit of improvement oh. you, you've been consistent been on that loop, i know we're half time keen that's such a great point you made there because I, I i got a lot of stick for always going on about the defense but that's what gave La Rochelle the lifeline. The really some really really soft tries. Um, you think of the Dante one just before half time. You know what I mean? Like you've got to be like we we had to do obviously a little blurb each for in into that. Um, you know, just just a little roundup of the of the Rugby World Cup and a few things we thought for for the Indo. And it was my first line, and it was that for all the all the chat, defense still wins, cha- still wins championships. It's so much easier to deliver on it, you know, because you just gotta. Obviously, there's different things like you, you know, I, I touched it earlier on. The man management of the team is brilliant. Like, they were able to drag guys off like superstars in the game on 45 minutes, 50 minutes. No one seemed to have an ego that they were bigger than the, t- than the team. And they all seemed to, as you say, understand what they're playing for. Um, you know, and they seem to just put like they empty everything into the jersey. Like, it's in fairness to them, if he can, if, if Nina Bar can get that going for Leinster and sort out the defense. You know, I think they might get over that that hump of the last couple of years. You know, how realistic do you think it is for him to have a you know a major impact this campaign in the sense that like obviously the World Cup has only just finished. Presumably, he'll be given a couple of weeks or a week or two weeks to celebrate or to recharge the batteries, and then like say Leinster for instance play La Rochelle December 9th, which by the time Nina comes in, like he'll only have had a 
maybe a, a week or two weeks or three weeks. It's hard to know at the moment. Like, so is it realistic to expect? You know, will you not come straight in, Will? Leo Cullen mentioned yesterday that he'll have a little bit of time off. Will you not get breaking Six Nations? Is that would he would he be able to do the two and a half months? Do a week, do a week of partying, and then no. It, it, well, he could potentially, but it doesn't seem like. I think he's going to be given the time to. <laughs> oh, is he okay. okay? I think the the type of fella he is, though, and like again, going back to the brief time he was in Munster and you know covering South Africa at the 2019 World Cup, and particularly now, like everything you hear about him is that like he's a workaholic. I'd be very surprised if if he takes two or three weeks off. I think he'll be. He'll be really keen for the exact reasons that you touched on, Will. I think he knows it's a big, big job that he has in his hands. Like, everything you hear is that, you know, he's been in touch with Leo Cullen, like, over the last few weeks. But, like, how much of that is actually him saying, this is what we should be doing at training, I'm really not sure. It's been, like, it's been a messy enough sort of preseason for Leinster when you think that Andrew Goodman, who is now taking over more responsibility uh, in the attacking side of things from Stuart Lancaster, is only back in Leinster a few weeks because he was with Samoa at the World Cup. So um, I'd say there's been a lot of coaches. Leo's probably been a lot more hands-on, I'd imagine, in preseason. Sean O'Brien, clearly on the on the defensive side of things. But, um, yeah, it's messy enough, I think, for Leinster. But I think it will be worth the wait when Neon Arbor came in. Like, this is a guy who, when he was with Munster and Rassi went back to South Africa, like, he'd only been there a short enough time, but Munster had recognized the the head coach um, abilities that he had. Like, like, as far as I'm aware, Munster made a really big push that they offered him the head coach job when he went back. Obviously, himself and Rassi are a bit of a tag team. And look, it's worked out brilliantly for them. They've basically changed South African rugby, got it back on track, back-to-back World Cups. Unbelievable. But now... This is his first time really working without Rassi Erasmus, so it's going to be very interesting to see how he gets on. Because, like, I mean, you see it in the when the camera goes to the the coaches box. Rassi is the one calling the shots. That's not to say Neen Arbor doesn't have a major say, but Rassi is the de facto head coach. I know his title is director of rugby, but um, I think Neen Arbor is going to see this as a massive sort of fresh start and challenge because he's got sort of out of Rassi's shadow a little bit. Leo will still be the head guy in there, but he has a bit of an advantage because he already knows about Irish rugby. And I mean, even from like an Irish point of view, I mean, you'd imagine Andy Farrell will be tapping into his knowledge as well, you know, wondering how like the Irish national team can get better, particularly around the sort of maybe the mindset point of view. So I think it's going to be a brilliant move for Irish rugby, I have to say. It's funny, I've heard a few people say, oh, Andy Farrell should be picking his brains in media. I'm like, well, Ireland did beat them, to be Ireland fair. Beat them. <laughs> yeah, Ireland did beat them. So maybe Jack should be asking Andy Farrell for a, a few pointers and a few tidbits as well. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be one of the most interesting subplots of the season in terms of what Jack Dean Abberg uh, can bring to the party. Luke, in, in, in terms of the World Cup generally now, the, the tournament's over every four years, obviously it's just a big focus. Like, how, how will you look back on it? For, for me, I actually think it's probably the best World Cup I've watched since I've started following rugby, you know, we, I think it was about, about as good as it could be in the sense that there's always going to be massive turkey shoots given the disparity and quality between the, the top teams and what's below that. But you mentioned the knockout stages. We had one bad game and every other match came down to the last kick of a ball pretty much. That's pretty much as good as it's going to get from my point of view anyway. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, like I thought about it a lot, you know, because obviously there was a little bit of a low with the crowds when France went out, you know, just in terms of atmosphere around the place. And obviously the Irish fans really, really traveled well um, and, and, and made themselves heard as we as we do. Um, so a little bit of the buzz maybe went after the quarterfinals. But if you actually think about the rugby, um, bar the Argies, um, you know, not really showing up for the semi-final, 
Um, you know, I, I, it was a brilliant tournament. Yeah, I mean, all the games were riveting. You know, so so close. Um, and look, I'm climbing into the into the RGs. I think their biggest match that that Wales win was a big win for them. They actually didn't have a great tournament. You know, we thought they were gonna, probably going to be a bit more of a force. They weren't really, but. Um, and a few things went went against them in, at the start of that New Zealand match as well. You know, decisions. I thought New Zealand were like really how they didn't get a yellow card at the start of the match was kind of baffling. You know, so a few things went went against them. I don't want to be too harsh on them um, because I think they did well to get to that stage. And they seem to always get to the semis, don't they? It's it's impressive in fairness. Um, but all the other games were brilliant, and um, you know the quarterfinal to a match like all came down to one score like and there was the the other team had the ball at the end that was behind that was you know trying to 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 get the win so yeah brilliant for the tournament um does still feel like it goes on a long time doesn't it but i just think given the physical nature of the competition it's just hard to, to i don't think you can really push people too too much further than um than they have i i think it's it's just so hard on the body rugby you know i was listening to I don't know if you guys are listening to the Kelsey brothers. Are you listen to any of the Kelsey brothers? They were talking about rugby. You know the podcast, the the two guy, the two uh, NFL guys. And I don't think people really get. You know, they were kind of saying, "Oh yeah, look, you know, very impressed. No pads, no pads was the big thing they were talking about rugby." And I was kind of like, "Look, it's it's such a." When I thought about it, I was like, "It's such a different game to NFL. Like the aerobic capacity required means that the hits aren't as big either, but it does make it an absolute animal of a game to get back up for." You know. Um, so I, I don't know how you structure it that you make it a little bit more condensed. I'm not sure it's possible. I think the only way you do it is remove teams, but I don't know. Well, funny I mean, enough, they've, they've added four Portugal. teams to the next World Cup, but it'll actually be one week less because of oh, everyone really? will be, there's just kind of the right amount of teams in a pool. Portugal you don't... and Fiji were brilliant, like, weren't they? I mean, like, we talked about some of the teams, like Georgia were a little bit of a, were disappointing. Italy were disappointing, I think. Um, but if you think about what those two teams did, you know, I, I feel like, you know, there, there's plenty left in this tournament. I, I do think it's disappointing to see. Apparently, the fixtures have come out, and it looks like some of the tier twos have kind of been cast aside again in terms of fixtures. Like, it's so important to have these teams having fixtures between tournaments. And they just, you know, if we want to make the game a bit more global, there, there are things we're going to have to try and figure out how we bring other teams up. Otherwise, we just need to go to, to a more restricted version of it, you know. But, um, I wouldn't like to see that. I'd love to see a Portugal, you know, a team like Portugal. That, that, that was brilliant to watch as well, wasn't it? I mean, I was so pleased for, for them. And hopefully it does, you know, give the game a little bit of momentum there, you know. It'd be, it'd be great to see another team emerge from it. Yeah, Kim, what about, what, from your perspective, obviously you've covered a number of World Cups now. Like, where does this one rank for you? Like, do you agree with, I suppose, my, my kind of take on it? Or were, you, or were you a little less enthused than I was? Uh, no, I did. I thought it was. I thought it was great. I didn't. I didn't get to many um, non-Ireland games as I would usually do, just with Ireland having a singular base in in tour. So like the only other games I got to, and to be fair, they were both unbelievable games. I got to Wales and Fiji, which was the day after Ireland played um, Romania and Bordeaux was on in the same stadium. So that was great to get to that. And I got to the other the other quarterfinals, France and South Africa, which was unbelievable. Look, that. That quarterfinal weekend in Paris will live long in my memory. I mean, obviously disappointing from an Irish point of view, but you kind of you pay yourself back and look at it from a neutral point of view and what a game of rugby that quarterfinal was. And then for 24 hours later to be followed up with, like, you know, you, everyone was kind of saying, oh, that was the best, you know, World Cup game. Which was the best game? We were having, we, I'm dying to ask you. We asked everyone, didn't we, Will? Who, which was the better game for you? South Africa, France or New Zealand, Ireland? 
I probably would have said Ireland New Zealand was the was the better game. I think there was a lot of mistakes in the South Africa France game, which look lend itself to a brilliant spectacle. But um, I just thought the the Ireland New Zealand game was off the charts. Look, they were both unbelievable. I mean, I could either or like I'd take either or but that will live with me will for a long long time I have to say um they were semi-finals really in all but name um the support was look remarkable I mean like I've only been home two weeks and I totally agree with what you guys have been saying about how long it feels like I left for France on September 1st and was there for six and a half weeks and I've been home for two weeks and I can't believe the World Cup is still going on but I think when you're in it and you're over there you kind of don't really notice it because it's just every day is kind of you know your your shoulder to the wheel working in that but the last two weeks have felt like so long. I just can't believe that it's it's been going on. So I'd imagine like that for the players, it's really, really draining. But um, the support from the Irish fans is worth mentioning. Again, like we will be waiting a long, long time, possibly never get to see, I think, like Irish support like it. You think of the next two World Cups in Australia and America, it's just not going to be like that. It was the same in Japan in 2019, like a, a great World Cup and a great country to visit. But the support clearly isn't going to be the same when it's so far away from home. So look, that made it, I think, really special as well, Will. I mean, to see it from Bordeaux to Nantes and then by the time we got to Paris for the rest of the games, it was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, Really good, I think, demographic of people as well. Um, a lot of people, I'd say, who were priced out of going to Six Nations games, going to November games. Um, it reminded me, I went to the Euros um, in Poland as a fan with my mates and like it was one of those things where you know we'd saved up for ages to go and it felt like there was a lot of kind of younger people over in France who had done that probably saved for the last couple of years I remember talking to Dan Sheehan after the I think it was after the Scotland game maybe and he was saying that like loads of his friends like they've had this plan for ages and that was the sense I got from being on the ground just it was brilliant to see people like I said who probably don't get to see many Ireland games I think if if the RFU were able to tap into that in any way I see actually South Africa came back to South Africa today and in the airport they were playing zombie um in the terminal as the team walked into it so um obviously they've adopted it now using the lyrics Rassi Rassi he's in your head he's in your head but um for that for that reason alone will I think as well the support really added to it I think you saw how devastated the Ireland players were in terms of like not being able to give them another couple of weekends and that what really was in lip service I think that actually made it even more tough because think back to again Japan in 2019 there just weren't as many Irish people there even in New Zealand last summer there weren't as many people there for obvious reasons so um that made it I think our best chance ever Ian I think so yeah like absolutely I think so and I think even when you look at the injuries, how they fell, I mean, having Johnny Sexton fit in the quarterfinal, I mean, you would have snapped your hand off for that at the start of the tournament. So, yeah, look, I think... Ryan I was wrote... a bit of an unlucky one, wasn't it? Ryan was a bit... I think that actually played out... That, that actually made it... Had an impact, I think. that was It a... did, but Henderson had been playing well and probably deserved a swap, but I, I agree that like Ryan would have made an impact as well there, but... Look, I think Irish rugby is still in a good place. I think, you know, you look at Munster winning the URC, like Leinster haven't won a trophy for two years, which is going to be massively driving them this year. Like we've just spoken about, they're getting Jack Neenarber in. The 20s have won back-to-back Grand Slams. Not everyone is going to, you know, graduate to the Irish team, but there's several exciting players. And you'd have to say dotted around the provinces as well. It's not all Leinster. There's a couple of really exciting players down in Munster another couple of in Ulster. So um, it's taken me a couple of weeks, I have to say, but I'm starting to... I'm starting to feel alive again now and not so miserable after the World Cup. Well, it's funny, like, 
I know Ireland lost in the quarterfinals again, but it definitely felt like this was the first World Cup probably that I've watched where Ireland were like a live part of it. Like they were actually like kind of contributing to big moments were a real, you know, contender to lift the thing and it does make your enjoyment of it go up so much more than say the japan world cup which you know you were there i wasn't keen so i'm sure it was a fun country to visit but even if you go through the knockout stages like there wasn't a whole pile of good tight matches that ireland obviously went home early i think it's like night and day in terms of how much i've enjoyed this tournament versus how much i enjoyed the last one even yeah, and I think, like, I mean, we're, we're starting to see kind of the usual narrative now on independent.e as well, like people coming out of the woodwork, a lot of GA people who are saying that, you know, we haven't been as critical as enough on the Irish rugby team. This is an Irish rugby team who won 17 games in a row, um, won a series in New Zealand, won a Grand Slam, were the only team to beat the world champions and were... And like basically a Geordie Barrett arm away from getting into a semi-final. And I don't care what anyone says, if Ireland had gotten past New Zealand, that Argentina team were ripe for the picking. That wasn't going to be like it was in 2015. So um, I'm not sure what people expect. I mean, these are the fine margins that we're talking about. There is so little to choose between the top four teams in the world. And we saw that play out over the quarterfinal weekend. And it's not like that this team has been immune from criticism. I mean, like there's loads of like things that we can focus on the line out in particular. And I think people were heavily critical of that. But um, I, I do agree with Luke. I think this was, this was the opportunity, the squad of players, the form that they were in, the coaching staff, um, you're now trying to replace a generational talent like Johnny Sexton. Like, that's going to be really difficult. There's plenty of exciting young tens. Jack Crowley, you know, look, looks like he's going to get the start in the Six Nations. And it, it's exciting, but it's also disappointing to think that, you know, it, there is a massive sense of what might have been in 2019 it wasn't like that at all. Like Ireland didn't show up in the quarterfinal, got absolutely hammered. And look, we all know what happened in 2019. The writing was on the wall, but um, even a few weeks on, three weeks on now, whatever it is, it is still disappointing. And there's some players like Johnny Sexton who would probably have to live with that for the rest of his life, knowing Johnny Sexton and how competitive he is. There's lots of guys like Dan Sheehan, James Ryan, Caleb Doris. These guys will get another opportunity in 2027. Um, but for the likes of Johnny Sexton, Keith Earls, I think this one will will really rankle with them for a long, long time. It's funny talking about Johnny Sexton. Like, I wonder if he wrote that retirement statement himself because I did think saying we lost but we won. I was like... What are you talking about? Like of Johnny Sex of all people, the driver signing off, the driver of standards, the kind of the Roy Keane kind of figure in that squad. I just thought that was such a kind of a non Johnny Sex thing to say. Like you know, it, it's like I know what he meant. The, the fans were great. There was a great connection between the fans, but I just thought it struck the wrong note. And I, I could see you're saying Keane, all people giving out about the coverage. I could see why people would look from that from the outside and be like, God, like the captain of the team is saying something like that. That's a real kind of. I don't know. Like it's a, it's like what does that mean? Like you know, the team were beaten in the quarterfinal. Yes, it was a close defeat, but they still lost. And to come out and say that is just it, it gives a lot of ammunition to people who don't want to see the team do well. I don't like the team. I don't like the coverage of the team. But do you care about any of them? I don't. I don't think anyone cares about any of those team. Those people. Like, Maybe I think, not. But um, I also didn't agree with what see what he said either. I was just like ah, like the game was there to be I, won. Look, it's a sign off of a, of a brilliant career. Like at some like it's it's it it like they didn't go out. Uh, they went out on their shield, you know, that kind of way. Like, and that, that's kind of, that is pretty important. They probably should have won the game, um, got off to an awful, awful start in it, you know. But I think, um, you know, they, they it, it was one of the only ones out of all the quarterfinals where you're kind of going, okay, well, look, they actually, 
struggled in a few areas. But New Zealand are a pretty good team too, so you might do that. But they still probably should have won that game, you know. So it's not like they didn't perform to their potential. I think they didn't in some areas, but overall, it was still a, a pretty good performance, and we're pushing very, very hard at the end. I, I, and I think the crowd. They weren't wrong about how much they inspired the nation throughout the period, you know, and, and that's that's a big part of sport. Like, obviously, the bit, the most important part is that you win. I get the point on that. But I think the statement, I thought it was quite a little succinct way of, of kind of signing off quite nicely. I think, like, he did, it does acknowledge that they lost, you know, and I think he's just saying, well, look, there's other things in sport too, um, you know, and, and we, we won at those things. Um, not the most important thing, which is why he says it first. I, I, I don't know. I think the order of that is quite important. I'm more on Luke's Luke's side of thinking, I have to say, with this. I mean, because I was in France until basically Ireland got knocked out, I missed the whole buzz of back here and what it was like. I was kind of just, you know, my mates were kind of telling me what it was like when they were going out watching the matches, pubs, absolutely jointed. But when I did come back and like was seeing people, particularly the first week I was back, the amount of what I would say, people I know, like non-rugby people who were asking me like, oh, you know, so disappointing, wasn't it? And that was definitely a sense that I got and I like, whatever whatever way you want to inspire like call it inspiring the nation or whatever but i definitely think because they were such a likable team because andy farrell i think is very very likable i think that drew in a massive audience who wouldn't normally tune into to irish rugby so yeah, i think that was... my wife woke up the next morning she like she she literally says geez i'm still good at about last night and i was like she's like I was like, you were literally asking me what a what a line out is during the game. You know what I mean? So like, it's, do you know what I mean? It's it's one of those ones. I completely agree. There's a lot of people like that, Luke. Like, I mean, genuinely, that have no real interest in rugby, but were absolutely gutted. And I, I think that that's probably what Johnny Sexton was hitting on a little bit because I'm sure he was getting lots of that as well like I came back um went to the shot like Tesco one one of the days I was back and was getting milk out of the fridge and there was just like these good luck Ireland like little stickers all like not even advertising anything but just like everywhere so I'd say it was bananas back here for for the big games oh, if like, they'd won that quarterfinal like if they'd won the quarterfinal it would have been like Italian 90 stuff like if they got to the final it'd be, it would be like that seriously like it's so good for the I think people underestimate how good it is to to see your team winning you know and what it does for like say future generations like there's there's people out like there's there's kids i can see uh, kids are off this week and i just saw loads and they're playing tennis or whatever but like if if ireland were, were, were playing in the final i guarantee you all the girls and the boys there would be out throwing a rugby ball you know that kind of way it's 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 amazing what it does for you and what it does for the game in the future like really hard to to quantify those things but um you know, I, I like I would say, like if you think about a lot of this team, like they would have seen Munster teams growing up winning Heineken Cups, Leinster teams winning Heineken Cups, all these guys, your Sheehan's, um, you know, your Tyke Burns, all these fellas, like they, they, it's amazing the impact all these things can have. So I just think it's kind of an oversimplification to say, well, we lost, and that's the only thing we're going to say about that. Like to say there there are other things to say when you're signing off, Will, you know. Not that you're a simple bloke, I'm not saying that, but it's just there I think there are more things and it's okay to acknowledge that yeah, you lost the game and obviously that's gut gut wrenching. Um but you know, there are other things that we won at and I think they will have gathered they, they this team has definitely got more people interested in rugby in Ireland. Definitely, I think. Uh, yeah, the viewing figures, all you have to do is look at the viewing figures for the South African, the Scotland and the New Zealand games. They were like rivaling late late toy show figures, which is uh which says it all about the uh about the popularity. That does say a lot about Irish people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why so many people like it so much. Like it, it's just this bizarre phenomenon. We, here, we can save that for another day, or maybe never, actually, is probably a better one. So, Kim, just before we sign off, like when do we start bringing up 
2027 now in our conversations when we're assessing things like do we just park this for years and or do we like will, will we kind of be looking ahead and, and kind of the way we kind of tend to view these things in terms of world cup cycles Oh, uh, like I Rudd did a piece. I was it a couple of weeks ago about the team that could start in the the World Cup opener. But he he'd been texting. That's already impressed me. Keen is when I saw his potential team, and I was like, "There's no way that team's winning the World Cup." So that's yeah, well, he, he, he was getting on to me to make sure that he hadn't forgotten forgotten anyone. So I won't mention any names. But yeah, there were there were one or two. Yeah, like I like. I think it's way too early. And like, I think if you look at the last two World Cups, it shows that like, it's just not a four year thing, whatever, like whatsoever. I think even you look at someone like Bundiaki, who was outstanding, like has just gotten a new central contract to bring him up to, is it in two years? Um, but like, he might not be at the World Cup in four years, but that's okay to get to contract him for the next two years because he can still be a massively important player. So uh, look, I'm 2027 is uh, so far out of my mind. And I think maybe, and look, I've been guilty um, of this, I have to say, over the years as well. But we probably have to get it out of our heads that it's not a four-year thing whatsoever. I mean, it doesn't take four years to build yourself to a World Cup. The South Africa have shown that over the last couple of years in terms of what they've done. I mean, like South Africa's form in between the World Cup has not been good um, in this last cycle, for want of a better term. And obviously in 2019, Rassi and Jacqueline Arbour came in really late. So maybe as our people... Score, to be fair. Like, the but they were poor enough in the rugby championship like I mean weren't they so like they they peak for the the big big tournaments and look that's obviously something that irish rugby has struggled with and um, that they didn't deliver their best performance in that quarter final so um, tricky for the northern hemisphere teams any thought like i still think that the, the way the competition is structured to have it just after your preseason is really difficult it's like i do think that's a definitely disadvantage for the northern hemisphere i i, I still I still harp on about that. Like coming in off preseason just presents so many different challenges for you. Yeah, and like, look, this has been like we're banging this drum for so long. Even Andy Farrell, I remember before the was it before the tournament was saying as well that look, he he wasn't going to start whinging about it now, but he's totally disagrees um, with it as well that it just is a uh, lopsided. But like we've been talking about the global calendar for for so long, but it's interesting when you think about it. Just now that you mentioned it, Luke, that. Um, Obviously, New Zealand lost the opener to France and then South Africa lost their like opening big game, like whatever about Scotland, but to Ireland as well. But when it came to the crunch, you know, they were peaking at the right time. So um, it is it, it is interesting and it is hard, obviously, to to get up and hit the ground running. But I thought Ireland did it, managed it quite well, I have to say. Um, they really did. And look, loads of people can say that oh, they should have rotated the team more, but then Ireland lost to Japan in 2019 when they rested Johnny Sexton. So and Andy Farrell was there for that. So like a lot of this is hindsight. And even going into the quarterfinal, I was pretty happy with how Ireland had managed things. I think we'd seen over kind of the last year, 18 months, that when Farrell rotated heavily, like it didn't quite work and they'd lost a little bit of momentum. So um, we can all You have to play your players though, Keane. If, if, you, if, if you're coming in off preseason, you know, that's another reason why you accumulate the minutes, you know? Yeah, no, it is. I do think that's a definite factor in it, you know. Plenty of lessons to learn, I'm sure, between now and 2027 in Australia. But we will not be mentioning the World Cup. I'm putting like an embargo on us using the two words World Cup over the, at least for a year anyway. Let's see how this season goes. But it's, it's easy to forget that we are actually just at the start of a full uh, season. Rugby. We haven't even touched on the provinces yet, which we will do so next week after a couple of interesting uh, opening rounds of the URC. But for now, I'd like to thank Luke and Keane for joining me on this week's episode. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye.